Protest in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm Acorn. I'm Mergles. And I'm PB. Wollen wir anfangen? Yes. 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 Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you the second to last time, I think, that this is a companion podcast or a retrospective, not a watch along. So you definitely want to have watched the series first before you join us. We do also take turns running the podcast. So it's more of a discussion format. We take turns leading the discussion. We do our notes ahead of time. And so this means we won't always get the details right, but hopefully it should lend for more surprises, more brong moments, and ultimately make it feel like you're joining us in our living room and discussing right along with us. Today's topic is Jonas. Yes. Jonas slash Adam. Yes. We made it, ladies. My boy. My son. <laughs> my son. Look at what they've done. They've massacred my boy. <gasps> That's actually kind of a little bit how I feel about Jonas. I feel like... Really? In, yeah, yeah, I do. I feel like in the very beginning, he was, you know, hopeful and uh, determined and tenacious and life changed him. And I feel like in some ways, he's representative of the life experience of how you think things will turn out if you just try and you don't really understand when you're that young. I think that life sometimes is just different. Things just happen. There's not always a reason for those things to happen. And often it changes you. Of course it changes you. It has to change you. you know, for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. We just yes. don't know what our reactions will be when those things happen. And yeah, I do feel like Jonas is one of those uh, characters that is representative of multiple things all at once within the series. And I really appreciate that about him. Mm-hmm. I love him a lot as a as a character. Yeah, me too. The loss of innocence yeah, is something exactly. that I want to talk about mm-hmm. in this episode. Yep. yep. Yeah, totally. I just had this moment where I was thinking about it and I was like, if teenage me met me now, would yeah. she think that I am the stranger or that I'm Adam? Ooh. I wonder if there's an element of that in terms of like, yeah. I, I think she'd think you were the stranger. I don't think yeah. you have reached an Adam level yet, but I do yet. think I do think it's possible. <laughs> and I don't necessarily mean that you want the world to end, but just that no, your, yeah. your experience will be so fundamentally different. Your, yeah. your opinion on things, your experience is just going to be so foreign to... 18-year-old you or 16-year-old you that it would be hard to comprehend. I think I would hate myself. Really? I think younger me would be very upset to meet future me like this. Yes. The you currently that you yeah, are? Yeah, the me currently that I am. Even really? though I'm so much in such a better place and this is the best way. Yeah, because young me was very angry and had a lot of pent-up anger that had no nowhere to direct it. And if you look at me now, I'm relatively like mellow. I'm very in touch with my emotions. I cry a lot. And I know it's hard to believe, but when I was like 17 or 18, because that's Jonas's, they're still in high school. 
Yeah. 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 I had a lot of, I had a lot of pent up emotions and I did not cry. I like did not allow myself the space to experience emotion unless I was playing a video game. So to Mm. see me get emotional over a commercial or, you know, just like crying because I'm so grateful, which just happened to me yesterday. So like, I think young me would look at that and go, you know, you're, you're weak. What happened to you? Like, Mm. I think young me just had this idea that I was going to seek justice and be tenacious and outspoken. And I was very much like Jonas in that way. Like I can do it and I can, I can make change. And I think young me would look at me now and go, okay, well, what change did you bring about? Did you do anything? Did you take down this conglomerate, this corporation? <laughs> did you do all these things? Like I just had, I just did, had a lot why of hopes haven't and you dreams. started the rebellion? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Why is the patriarchy still intact? Yeah. And I had a, I had a lot of very strong opinions when I was younger. Um, Same, you know, dude. That were yeah. very yep. much like all corporations are shit. The earth is falling mm-hmm. apart. And I, I just think that's it. I think it's passion. Yep. Yeah. And I don't think you lose passion when you get older. It's just you direct it differently. Yeah. I think. I think it feels differently. Like yes. I think it it resides within you in a different way. It yeah. sort of changes form. Because I also remember, I remember when I was like 17 or 18, yeah. 19 even, mm-hmm. giving people these like literal impassioned speeches about yeah. the need for passion. <laughs> like I think yeah. I wrote like an essay or something yeah. for a friend about like how important passion was and how important it was to care about things like with all of your power and energy and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's why I am the way I am today because I blew my load. <laughs> like yeah. I just, I, <laughs> I, uh, I think that's realized normal, how hard though. it is. Yeah, yeah, I think so it too. It is healthy. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say normal, but it's it's healthy in a way. And I think, I think it's a pretty collective experience. I think when you're yeah. when you're younger and you're growing up and you're kind of just looking at the way the world works, I think it's natural to become impassioned with all the things that you see that are broken. And you go, but we can fix this and that and this and that. And it's almost the same today when you learn about something that you didn't know about before. And then all you want to do is talk about the thing that you've learned about. Because how come everybody else doesn't know this thing? And like, did you know this and that? And, you know, and that's why we have cancel culture and Twitter. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) where I was going to go with that. You know, it's because of that impassioned experience you get when you learn something new and added to that, you're learning that you didn't know this for so long. Mm -hmm. And so there's that aspect of like, I wish I had known sooner or I would have done something or just this whole idea that you need to stand up and change something or you, you need to to do that and make that perspective. So I think young me to find out I worked for a corporate situation for a very long time and that I'm working for Amazon now, sort of technically, I think young me (laughs) would be disgusted with myself for sure. Yeah. Also, I just think that I think when you're young, you're still growing and you're still trying to like figure out who you are and what you stand for and where you fit in the world. And so your passion is with change and metamorphosis. And Mm -hmm. where I am now, my passion is in experience, which is different from, you know, the passion to change. And it was never about making a mark for me. It was just about, you know, making the world better or, you know, these things are broken. And why is it the way that it is? It shouldn't be that way if these people are suffering or, you know, whatever. And now my passion is in, I, I recognize my weaknesses in that regard, like how far my reach can possibly be, which I know it could be further if I did certain things, 
but my passion now lies in my experience and my everyday experience and trying to make that better. Recognizing that I suffered a lot as a kid and I kind of want to, I want to make my future better and I need to do the work now to be able to do that, right? So it's just kind of like, that's where I personally focus my attention now is like that inward journey or being at peace with watching the sunrise in the morning if I happen to be up for it, you know, kind of stuff like that. I And that's what Adam doesn't do. Adam gives up, right? I think so. But I wonder if there's there's a certain element, like maybe there's an argument that our perspective of Adam is colored because Jonas is our first person character, essentially. And so like, I wonder how much, because I think when you're young in your teens, you define, you're trying to create an identity and you're trying to define yourself. And I think a lot of what happens is you define yourself by the things you're in opposition of as well. And so there's a lot of judgmental, like I was pretty judgmental in my late late teens, you know? I mean, I'm still judgmental now. It's just mostly internal. But yeah, I was very very judgmental, (laughs) which is also part of why I say young me would hate me because I'm super judgy. But I think it's like uh, you stop being judgmental because you you live through experiences that give you empathy. And I think like that's that's the key there. Also, you just get empathetic with yourself. At least that's what happened to me. Yeah. I feel like young me was also just super hard on myself. Like I had a lot to carry and a lot to shoulder. I couldn't cry. I had to be strong. I had to do all these things to survive. And old me now just wants to like hug that young me and be like, you're going to make it. But young me would be repulsed by that and be like, no, I can't. (laughs) You can't hug me because then I'm going to feel something and then that'll make me weak and I have to survive right now. So, you know, get out. (laughs) (laughs) I see a lot of this reflected in the transition from Jonas to Adam because you're right. We do join Jonas first and we see his impassioned, fixated desire to fix things to break the time loop, to stop the apocalypse, to save Marta. Mm -hmm. And eventually he grows into the person that Adam becomes, which is more focused on experience and having a broader perspective, kind of like, like a garden hose where you have the different modes. One is a very thin, intense stream. And then the rest are like, you know, they, it opens up more and more and more until it's just a wide spray. And it's, yeah. I love that analogy, dude. That's yeah. such a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. That's that's wow. all that was running through my head as as you were sharing your thoughts. And I think that's kind of what it's like to grow older because at first you're very, very passionate and you have strong opinions and you want to set out and exact this particular change. And then as you grow older, that focus spreads across a couple different things and mm-hmm. it's more steady and consistent than very pointed and fixated. And then I guess in the middle, when he's the stranger, it's that period of transition between those two. Because he's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think that's normal. I mean, that's kind of... I think the other thing is that depending on where you are in your life, there's a perceived sadness at loss of innocence, which I'm sure you're going to bring up, or loss of drive or loss of previously defined passion. Yeah. There can be a sadness and a mourning and a grief in that when you start to realize how different you are and the ways in which the world and your life experiences have changed you. Things that weren't out of your control and things that maybe you wonder if this had not happened, how would I be now? And things like that, you know, which is a lot about what we talked about with determinism and just the flow of life, simply the flow Mm -hmm. of life. And I guess the wonder for me is, is Adam just like a representation of what it's like to grow older and the perspective that we have on him is different depending on where you are in your life, you know? 
So I, yes, yes, I think that that is absolutely a very good observation. But I also think Jonas is a representation of Tannhaus literally losing the innocence of his children. Yes. Yeah. That is the whole thing. And Jonas both represents the baby, the son, and Tannhaus. So I think Mm. Jonas is that young child that's innocent and has so much life to live. The stranger represents his estranged son, part of maybe also Mm -hmm. why they chose to call him the stranger. And then Adam represents Tannhaus after the loss of his innocence, aka the loss of his his son. Yeah. Or jaded. Yeah. Cynical. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about these discussions are conversations around how grief and loss trickle Mm. their way through all of the different characters, personalities and backstories Mm. and how everything revolves around parents and children. So I think you're right. I think Jonas is a very direct representation of Tannhaus's relationship with his son in so many ways, especially mm-hmm. since we see him at different stages in his life. I think he's also a representation of Tannhaus's grief. Yes. Yeah. And we've talked about how some of the characters represent, yeah, I think we talked a lot about Hannah, yeah. for her, her mm-hmm. drive and her hunger, you know? And I think that Jonas fundamentally represents the stage of grief and what can happen when you are grieving and the versions of you that come out when you are. Yeah. And I think it's his moment at the end where he kind of, they, they decide to actually stop the timeline Mm -hmm. uh, and that they have the ability to is sort of like a taking power over grief. I I don't know, but I do think of him as sort of the stand in for Tannhaus's overall feelings of grief and suffering. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the very first thing that we see of Jonas is that his father died. And he's in grief. He's in active grieving when we first see him. And then I think, in my opinion, he stays in that grieving process for the entire show. And what Adam is, is the result of a life lived in grief. Yep. Because Marta gets added to that too. It's a transference of grief. He has different stages of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the recognition as well, like when he goes to save his father and realizes that his father has to die for the timeline. Yeah. That grief in and of itself as well. Yes. So I kind of sort of hinted at this, but I like, I have moments that I think back up the theory that he's representing Tanhouse and all of these different things. First of all, there's, we've got three different worlds, which at the time when we first started talking about this, when I first did my notes for Jonas, I was like, oh, but there's only two. And I couldn't Mm. wrap my brain around. But now that we know what we know, it makes even more sense to me that, that he represents this. So it's so funny that Mergs, you just said, repeat what you just said again. The last thing he's representing. Oh, he has to realize that his dad has to die. Okay, right, 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 right. So I think the supernatural nature of the show is amazing. And they make a lot of statements with the supernatural nature of the show. They explore existentialism. They explore nihilism. They explore all sorts of philosophy, religion, even a little bit. They do a lot. But I also had a moment where I thought, oh, If we just look at the show as an exploration of grief, let's just say that all of these two worlds are Tannhaus's way to deal with the loss of his son, then the idea that the timeline is fixed and there's nothing you can do to change it and to proceed with grief, you have to let go. You have to let your dad die. You have to let these things happen because it's needed to proceed. It's needed to step forward. You have to submit that people are going to die. 
you're going to lose your dad. You're going to lose, you know, it's just, that's what happens. You lose people and it's Mm -hmm. an inevitable loss. And so the thought of the timeline being fixed and them using a time travel story to talk about getting through grief is kind of amazing to me. Because you do think that when you lose someone, you think like, if only I could go back, if what if things had been different and blah, blah, blah. And eventually you have to go, but it can't. And that's the same realization that Jonas comes to, right? But I can't, we can't change break it. the loop. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, this is such a great start and I can't <laughs> wait to go into more. We've touched mm-hmm. on a couple different time periods or parts of Jonas's timeline. So let's fill in the details as we do with every character. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through his timeline from beginning to end. Um, it's probably going to be on the more beefy side, just like Marta, because mm-hmm. they are the main characters and we see them in so many different time periods and stages in their life. But Jonas Conwald is the son of Hannah and Michael Conwald. He is a quiet, somewhat somber teenager, but fate has great things in store for him. For a long time, Jonas is unaware of the extent of his role in the mysterious events happening around Winden. And as usual, this is coming from dark.netflix.io our favorite place to read character synopses. So if you want to follow along, you can find it there. On a hot day in June, Marta and Jonas kiss for the first time at the lake. That evening, they meet again at her parents' party and Marta gives Jonas the St. Christopher pendant that they had found together on the lakeshore. They later sleep together. Jonas struggles in the aftermath of his father Michael's unexpected suicide. He leaves Wyndon to stay in a psychiatric ward for several months. A few days after he returns to Wyndon, Mikkel Nielsen disappears without a trace. Jonas was the last person to see him. They were in a group near the caves and heard an eerie sound. Panic broke loose and Magnus, Bartosz, Francisca, and Marta ran ahead. Jonas tripped and suddenly Mikkel was gone. Jonas receives a goodbye letter from his father in a package with no sender. The letter contains shocking news. Michael Conwald is Mikkel Nielsen. He traveled to 1986 via the Winden Caves and started a new life. A map of the caves helps Jonas find the passage and he uses it to travel to 1986. He finds Mikkel in the hospital and wants to bring him back, but the stranger warns him that Mikkel must grow up as Michael Conwald in order to become Jonas's father. Jonas abandons his plan. Jonas and Marta started dating in the summer, but when Jonas goes away for several months, Marta gets together with his best friend, Bartosz. Their relationship is rekindled upon Jonas's return. That's until Jonas discovers Mikkel is his father, which makes Marta his aunt. Without telling her why, he blows her off the next time they are together. During a trip to 1986, Jonas is kidnapped by Noah and Helga Doppler and locked in the bunker. He speaks through the door to his grown-up self, who reveals his identity but doesn't open the bunker door. A few moments later, a rift in time opens up and Jonas can see Helga Doppler as a boy in 1953. When their hands touch, Jonas is transported to 2052. Jonas is living in his parents' house in post-apocalyptic Winden. He's keeping his distance from Elizabeth's cult-like following in the woods. He discovers a time portal in the nuclear power plant, but Elizabeth has deemed the site out of bounds. She has Jonas captured, but calls off his execution at the last second. The resulting scar around his neck stays with him for the rest of his life. Celia sets Jonas free and he leaves 2053 using the time portal in the power plant. Jonas travels from the future back to 1921. There, he is mistaken for a confused post-war soldier. He meets young Noah, who takes him to Adam. Adam shows Jonas an identical scar around his neck 
and reveals that he is Jonas 60 years later. At Adam's suggestion, Jonas travels through the time portal in the Sigmundus headquarters to June 20th, 2019, the day of Michael Conwald's suicide. You made a face PB. Do you want to touch on whatever you just thought of? Yeah, it's just when you said he's mistaken for a post-war soldier, it just resonated with me because I said, I'm going to listen to this timeline as an exploration of grief since we've really truly covered a lot of the the time travel aspect and the sci-fi aspect. So now I just want to take a very metaphorical look at Jonas. And so that, that struck me. Because that is what happens when you lose someone, right? You yes. can be mistaken for a post-war soldier. You you have the same kind of, you're changed. It changes Hollow. you. Yes, it changes yeah. you. Yes. And especially at this point, because he's been through, what, 2019, the 1980s, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now he's in post-apocalyptic Winden and goes through this experience of almost being hung to death. You know, yeah. he's lost his father. He's traveled. He's almost hung and then he goes to 1921. And, and he's and so almost it, hung and that's the way his dad went. So I cannot imagine yes. what was going through his mind as they were trying to hang him. You know, like I yes. just... Wow, I didn't put two and two together until you just said that. Yeah, that's like, absolutely correct. Yeah, wow. that's horrific, exactly, man. Like, the emotional impact didn't hit me until just now. Yeah, you should go wow. back and watch that scene and I'll, I'll, I'm going to pull it up right now because the look on his face is pretty great. Uh, and by great, I just mean it's something else when you look at it from that perspective. When Jonas is being hung, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot on his face, I feel like. And it's very much... I'm going to pull it up too. Okay. So I found the scene. It actually cuts to Jonas with the noose around his neck. Yeah. And Elizabeth and her followers staring at him. And he is just... He's obviously scared. He's yeah. crying. A tear goes down his face, but yeah. oh God, there's other, there's other people hung all around him too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like hanging imagery at the beginning of season two. So if you look at this just as like, nobody likes that it was all a dream trope, but if you do yeah. look at it as it's all in, in his mind and it's how he's exploring his trauma of loss, it's fucking crazy. And not only that, but like, in this dead zone, in this future without my father, in this future without my son. No one's smiling because everyone's wearing a mask. The world is dead. And yeah, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. So right there. Oh my God. So when Charlotte shoots him down, there is a shot of him lying there on the ground and he's like choking because he can't breathe. There's no doubt in my mind for me that he laid there going, this is what my dad felt. And I think this experience (sighs) probably starts him pretty far down the path of becoming Adam and the stranger because he knows he has to do that. He knows he has to tell his dad to do this, but he also knows what the experience is like. So he knows exactly what he's asking his dad to do because he nearly died himself from hanging. I just don't know when in the timeline that happens. Is it after? I think it's after. Yeah. It does happen after this. Yeah. It's the next point in his timeline. But gosh, just watching that scene and for Mm -hmm. anyone who wants to pull it up too, it's season two, episode two, about 35 minutes in. Mm -hmm. That is when he's being hung by Elizabeth and Celia. I'm now recognizing almost the full circle of grief in this because you're right. The first season opens with the loss of his father to hanging. Yeah. And then eventually he is almost hung to death. And then he goes and tries to prevent his father from killing himself and inadvertently causes it. So the realization, it's, it's almost like it's the difference between 
understanding how something happens and having gone through it yourself just makes the emotional impact that much stronger to realize what his father is about to do and almost to relive grief again, a second time, but in a stronger way, because he's been in that position and understands what it feels like. Yeah. I cannot imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine that either. And also I can see no other way in which he would not become Adam. Not to be like determinism, but I feel like that's part of what they explored in the show. And the idea that Adam can say, I want to break this cycle. This must of end. pain. This must end. But I have to continue allowing everybody to do what they've always done until I'm ready to do that. How many times do you think he sat there and went, my dad's hanging himself. It can't be in vain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's almost like... I can't let there all needs of this to be, be for nothing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And at the same time, I want to free everyone from all of this. I want to free my dad. I want to free me. I want to free Marta. In my opinion, I know Adam seems very much villainous at the end. And in a lot of ways he is. You know, he does strap Martha to a chair to try to kill her. But I really do see him as the macro view, trying to put everybody ahead of himself. I feel like him and Ava do the same thing. They are doing the same thing. They're trying to put everybody before themselves. It's just, well, unless you look at Martha as wanting to save her son, in which case she's only Mm -hmm. trying to save the unknown. But I think we're kind of past that now that that's not really what, what she's about either. So I think they're just parallels in that, again, if if we look at it through grief, it's just parallels of how you deal with loss. You either say, I lost my son in a car accident with his wife and his my, my grandchild, but the time I had with them, I would do it all again, even if it meant losing them, which is Ava, yeah. right? And then Adam is like, forget it. I wish they were never born. I want to spare them this pain and grief and loss. Yes. So... Kind of the act of, you know, Jonas representing all three of these different characters. If you look at that and you look at what Adam does as a grief stricken, unrecognizable, literally tan house, then it becomes clear him strapping Marta and the baby to the chair is almost it's that type of thinking that you go through sometimes when you lose someone of like, I wish I had never felt this at all. I wish I never even knew you because now I don't have to suffer this pain and then feeling guilty for thinking that. So there's just a lot of layers for Adam for me that make me think from a metaphorical perspective that he's just referencing Tanhouse. And that's another one of them that he, he chooses to strap a mother and a child to a chair to prevent pain. And in a, in a way that is also what Tanhouse is doing without even realizing it. Yeah. He's creating a world in which people they don't exist. Yeah. 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 So I think also the interesting thing is like, if you look at Marta and Jonas as maybe the two sides, like two extremes of grief, right? Mm-hmm. Two extreme responses, the immediate response of, I never want to feel this pain and whatever I need to do to get rid of this pain. And like, yeah. I wish it never happened versus the very like, I am willing to go through all of this in order to see this person again over and over. Like I would do this again to see this person again. And it feels almost like the real healthy moment is accepting both of those things in tandem and accepting that it's somewhere in the middle and both of those things exist. And that's the only way for those things to dissipate is by saying they existed, which is, will they remember us? Yeah. You know, it's by accepting that they exist, both of them in their own right, by not being able to exist without each other saying, okay, I'm accepting that this is the case and I'm going to feel this and I'm going to feel that. And I will remember those things, but it's somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. 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 Accept it and let it go. Yeah. Man, 
So already thinking about and discussing Jonas slash Adam through the lens of grief has already given me so much more empathy for him as a character. Yep. Because I can see almost the deliberate deadening of emotion in order to do what he needs to do to save everyone, to release them from this cycle. Sorry, I just what? I just got the scar tissue. Yes. Scar <gasps> tissue is a way it's a representation of You're the so scar right. tissue, dude. Oh around your heart that of just yep. one thing after another yes. and you just build a scar tissue until you feel nothing. So that you yep. can live yeah. so that you can life. keep yep. living. Yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely oh, right. Shit. And he needs all of the scar tissue in order to live. And Ava just needed one. Oh my God. You just solved Ava's scar for me as well. What the fuck? You just solved yep. that. And yep. last week we were like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that, but you absolutely, it's metaphorical. It's yep. I suffered one loss or this thing. Yep. I only need one. And <gasps> this is my yep. perspective and on life. And Jonas needed, yeah. And Jonas and had like a million. Yeah. A million, yeah. yeah. His whole body. His whole body was His covered. His whole yeah. body. Yeah. Every scar life tissue. he's lived. Yeah. Yeah. Every life he's lived, he got another scar. Wow. Wow. That just blew my mind. Yeah, that's super <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's so in that's so in line with their characters and their motivations. Yeah. That yeah. is yeah. fucking insane. And if you think about it too, like imagine what we would look like if all of our internal scars were on the outside. Exactly. Oh, right? Yes. It's exactly what we would look like, probably. That's wild to me. So good. Oh, uh, yes. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> I can't, I, was like, I can't wait halt. for this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And it makes sense for someone like Jonas. We're going to have to stop and discuss because as things come up, especially with the timeline, we'll have to talk it out. So where we left off, he was in 1921. Adam reveals to Jonas that they are the same. He shows Jonas the scar around his neck. And at his suggestion, Jonas travels through the time travel portal in the Sigmundus headquarters to June 20th, 2019 the day of Michael Conwald's suicide. So after going through all of that, he wants to prevent his father's death. But Michael says he's never had any suicidal thoughts. It's also the first he's heard of a goodbye letter. Old Claudia Tiedemann joins them and explains that some things shouldn't be undone. She leaves the house with Jonas, who is horrified to realize that he was the one to mention suicide to his father. And of course, his father out of love and wanting to protect his son is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice in order to save him. So it is literally from Jonas's actions that his father committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And also think about, uh, I mean, he gives him the letter so he knows. And just think about what life has been like for Mikkel, right? Who fucking Mm -hmm. time travels and probably gaslights himself for decades and is super depressed because he can't function. And then he maybe had two, three years where he maybe had some sort of semblance of happiness. And then if you can even call it that, I mean, we don't know. I'm sure he did, especially around Jonas being born. But then as everyone grows up, realizing that you're not crazy. You had Jonas, who was your sister's boyfriend-ish. And like watching them... I think Hannah even says something about Mikkel, like about how he was doing so well and then now he's suddenly not because it was getting closer and closer to the date in which he knew he wasn't fucking crazy. Yeah. So he starts seeing things around him like his younger self. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. dude. And honestly, I can't 
you know, I can't imagine growing up and then somebody saying, you were so traumatized that you made up this story. Yeah. And you don't remember what happened to you, but this is normal when you experience trauma. Just imagine being told that, dude. You're not going to immediately think that time travel was real. You're going to think, okay, I fucking hallucinate and I'm on meds my whole life. And then all of a sudden you realize you haven't been hallucinating. Imagine that release and that satisfaction. I would also hang myself for my son, which sounds very dramatic, but just like to have that validation after my whole life, I've been like thinking I'm insane. Yes, that is where my brain is too. Oh, I'm not crazy. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. I imagine it would be a relief for him to have lived that life with confusion and this cloud over him of Mm -hmm. not really clearly understanding what happened to him to bring him to that place in his life and to just, because they do a great job of alluding to this. Like you mentioned with what's going on, you seem off and he's just like really struggling internally. I actually think this was his moment of release. This was his moment of this is what it was all for to protect my son, to save my son. And I actually think that it was something that he was willing to do because it's almost like it makes it all worth it. It gives his life more meaning, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's honestly, it's super tough because Mikkel is one of those characters that I really, oh my God, Mikkel's one of the characters I really enjoy and I really love and I have a, a very a fondness for and I wish we had seen more of him and his experience, even though we saw enough. My oh my God was in relation to he is the magician finally when he does that. And he goes from the hanged man to the magician. And I'm just like, I have goosebumps thinking about it. (sighs) He does it so that Jonas can go from one place to the other, right? The magic trick. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. Fucking hell. Yeah. (sighs) Also, like there is a moment when Jonas actually goes to the place to hang himself where his father was. So there's that scene as well. So that, you know, is also a big, big moment for him. Yeah. Anyway. While I imagine that it would be a sense of release and meaning to Michael, it's obviously devastating and a huge loss for Jonas. So he goes on from there and eventually winds up to the day that Mikkel disappears. Jonas watches his younger self as he runs through the woods away from the cave with Mikkel. And it's this version of Jonas that steps in when they lose sight of one another and leads Mikkel deep into the caves and through the time travel passage to 1986 before leaving the boy there alone. I want to stop here and touch on this because now that we're discussing the role of grief in Jonas's character, what do you think is going on in his head right now? He's gone through all of that. He just realized that he was the cause of his father's death. And then he is also the person to have led his father into the Winden Caves and back in time. I think that's the beginning of Jonas's shutting down emotionally. I think that is like the first cut, really, the first scar. Um, And I actually wonder if there's something hinted that he gets a scar. I mean, yeah, so he gets the hanging scar there. But I, I don't know if that's the genuine first scar. I feel like it's this moment where we see him actively choose to support the timeline. And we see him actively go like, okay, I need to keep this going. It just occurred to me, his wounds are still fresh at this point, right? When do his scars heal? I think it's a long process. I don't do think it's really? like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. also it's a long process to heal trauma scars. But yes, I, I know. Yeah, I know what, what you What I'm getting at though is the scar tissue. When does the scar tissue form? 
Yeah. I don't think we see it form on him. I think he has the like, like young Jonas at this time, he has the raw neck for, I think, almost all of his stuff. It's when he's the stranger that we see that it's healed over, quote unquote. I guess he's the magician. I guess he's the magician the whole way through. Sorry, I'm still thinking about Mikkel. And that opening scene, dude, they're telling us everything in episode one. Okay. That was something I was going to bring up. Yeah. Because in prepping for this, that is exactly what I realized. There are so many things that happen in episode one of season one that alludes to everything. The ending with Jonas and Marta. This is such a weird thing. But in that opening scene where they're having breakfast, do they ease in or out? Like camera wise? Yeah, because I feel like in the finale, when they're all at that dinner table, it's the same table, isn't it? Hold on. I got to look this up. I'm looking at the chronological order video one second. Oh my God. Yes. It is. It's the same table. It's the same room. It's the same, it's the same position. Room. It's the same dining room. The table's in front of the fireplace with the mantle where we saw the candles and had our freak out about the symmetry of the is scene. Is Jonas sitting where she looks? Because it certainly looks like he is to me. What do you mean? Is Jonas sitting He's where... He's sitting where Hannah looks over. He's sitting in that fucking chair, my dude. Oh, Mickle? No, where Jonas is. When she looks over and sees the raincoat and goes, Jonas is a good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sitting in that spot. In what episode? In the opening scene, episode one. In the Nielsen house? Yeah. Isn't that where they are? Uh, I think they're in the Nielsen house, but but Jonas isn't there in that opening scene with uh, with Ulrich and Mikkel because that's their like morning breakfast scene, right? No, but they're in the Conwald house, aren't they? At the end? They're in Hannah's house. No. No, they're no, I not. think they're at the, the Nielsen house. Yeah. Is this not... Go to 10 minutes and like 50 seconds or just before that, the breakfast scene. Mikkel is sitting at the table in his skeleton outfit and it's the fireplace and the mantle right behind that dining table. I think that's the room that they are in in the final scene. Now, I know that they recreate the scene almost to a T when they do the alt reality. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's this house that they're in. Okay. I Yeah, the apocalypse is upon us. I know that they recreate the scene in alt reality and March's yeah. reality, like almost to a T and it's crazy. It's so good. But yeah, in this opening scene, <gasps> the cups are yellow and blue. Yes, they are. We talked about that. I totally forgot. I mean, I know we talked about yellow and blue, but I don't remember the cups and the pawn being yellow as well. Yep. So yeah, he's he's the magician from day one, right? He's the one that goes from one place to the other. He's he calls Houdini. himself Houdini and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, It's so good. Oh, man. This show is just unreal, man. Absolutely phenomenal. I'm curious, though. I just now want to watch the show again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was one scene, but now I just, I just want to watch the whole thing all over again. Stop. What? Hold on. I think it is the Conwald house. Yeah, I think it is the Conwald house as well. But it looks different. Dude, is it a combination? See? I, thought I think it's so. a combination of both. Oh it's both of God. them. Oh my God. Hold on. Can someone can someone screenshot the actual like dinner table scene? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing that now. Yeah. Um, oh my God. And the stairs are blue. Okay. So we're including these in the show notes because even so, it's the same shot, but Jonas is in one of them. But when I look at, oh my God, dude, you're right. It's a combination of both houses. What? Holy shit. Holy fuck. Hold on. How do we not catch that? Oh, hold on. Because it looks so much like their fucking house. No. It might look. still be. No, 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 no. Because look, here are the stairs in their house behind a door. Yeah. There is no door in the scene with Hannah, the final scene. There's However, a door on that right 
Uh, oh, yeah. However, the mantle. Yeah, it's no. Look dude. at the wallpaper, too. The wallpaper. Oh, my God. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm having a fucking freak out right now as I'm watching. Okay, go to episode one, season one. The timestamp is 10 minutes and 43 seconds. You see an entire pan of their room. There is no way for Hannah to glance over at a chair with stairs in the background without a doorway being in the way if it is the Nielsen home. Yeah. However, when they do a pan and it shows the mantle, it sure shit looks like their mantle. And if you look at season one, episode one, five minutes in, four minutes, 57 seconds, they show you the, the entirety of the Conwald house where Jonas is in there. And it's those stairs, but there's no mantle. Yes. Oh my God. This is actually huge because they have a round table and it doesn't look like they have a fireplace in the Convald house, like behind the dining room. No, it doesn't. They have the kitchen. It uh, genuinely the kitchen is looks on the right. like yeah. they merged both houses, yeah. dude. Yeah, it I does cannot actually believe look we like fucking that. missed that. Wow. Wow, dude. What the fuck? So wait, 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 so it's the Conwald staircase and the Nielsen dining room in the final yeah. scene of the final episode, right? Yes, I'm yeah. fucking losing my mind. Holy shit. So that means that when Hannah looks over at that spot, that is exactly where Jonas is sitting in season one, episode one. He's sitting in that chair in that exact location. They added a wall is what looks like happened. Because if you look at this screenshot here where the stranger... The piano's in the same fucking spot. Hold on, hold on. So it, you know how we're trying to make sure that it's the same room, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So look at this image, mm -hmm. this, which is the actual shot of the Nielsen house. Yep. And then the one right above it, the piano. Look at the corner of the piano. The piano's in they the exact same the spot. They merged the houses. They merged the houses. It's the exact, it's, it's two houses together. The wallpaper yep. isn't there in the actual shot of the Conwald house, or sorry, of the Nielsen house. But in the final dining room scene, it's the same wallpaper as the Conwald house. They fucking yes. merged the sets or they arranged it in a way, yeah. you know, they built, the, it, it looks like essentially they built a false wall yeah. where the kitchen would be. Dude, the same room, it's just decorated different, but then it's also in the call. It's both houses merged together. Holy. I, I have goosebumps. I cannot with this show. Oh my gosh. That's so fucking cool, dude. <laughs> I'm so glad we caught that before the end of this podcast because holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. I sat down going, we're going to talk metaphorically about Jonas because I don't really have any <laughs> mind-blowing moments. Man. And then we start talking about Jonas's father, Mikkel. And then here we are talking about the houses. Yeah, and it is. That third world is the merging of those two worlds. So they it's did it the same chairs, dude. Yeah. Look at the chairs. Yeah. But wait, stop. It's Is it the same chairs? No, chairs one are different. No. The, one of the same chairs. So there's two chairs yep. at the Nielsen house that I are the it. same that are in the final scene. Yeah, Katarina's standing in front of it in that screenshot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's different chair. Okay. But it's whoa. on the other end of the table. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Nielsen house has... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. They're not the same. The Nielsen house has two types of chairs at the table. One of those yep. chairs is the chair that we see in the final scene. Yeah, I was yeah. about to freak out and say that the two chairs look are like a combination the, yeah, of the two houses. The but... <laughs> I also thought, thought the same thing. Yeah, but, but I, al just the one. I also think it's super interesting that that one chair that we see that's empty that is still positioned there, even though it yeah. doesn't have to be, is a perfect circle. Yeah. A loop. Yes. Yeah. And it's different really cool. from the others. Yeah. Oh. Wow, wow I can't fucking believe they merged the houses like that. That's so cool. 
What a catch, man. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Jonas, yep. uh, Jonas, yeah, great character. So getting back Love to the him. timeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. So Jonas leads Mikkel into the cave and is the reason for Mikkel going back in time. After that, Jonas spends a year learning everything he can about time travel from old Claudia Tiedemann. He then visits younger Claudia in June 1987 and together they enter the caves and use the time machine to reactivate the passage that his older self had closed six months ago. He and Claudia then travel together to 2020. On the day of the apocalypse, Jonas goes to his house to save Marta. By now, she has discovered that Jonas is her nephew, but they share a passionate kiss nonetheless. Adam suddenly appears and shoots Marta. Jonas is devastated, but Adam reassures him that one day he will understand why it was necessary. Just going to throw in again, this is another example of where I think if we were only looking metaphorically through the lens of grief, it's the whole idea of like, I must detach myself from my feeling right now so that I can continue existing and you'll understand mm -hmm. one day kind of thing. I just think it's another yeah. reinforcing of that idea. Oh, absolutely. Because Adam is the one that shoots Marta, almost like he's trying to kill his grief and continue on. Yeah, so good. The course of all things is not unchangeable. Quantum entanglement can create parallel realities. In one reality, Jonas travels to Ava's world with another Marta in the aftermath of Marta's death. This is the Marta that appears with the golden time machine orb and says that she's from a different world. In another reality, Jonas survives the apocalypse in the basement of his house because that's the reality that Marta was interrupted by Bartosz and never came to save him. In a third reality, it's Adam who brings Jonas to another world. And that is our finale. That is the end of season three when I guess a reformed Adam comes and picks up Jonas and takes him to the final destination to solve everything. So in the first reality, Jonas is in the Conwald house holding Marta's dead body in his arms when suddenly another Marta arrives from a parallel reality. She activates her time travel sphere and saves Jonas from the apocalypse. So just to summarize, in that first reality, Jonas watches Adam kill Marta and this is where it splits. So in the first reality, Marta from the other world saves Jonas and Jonas is saved by Marta from the alternate universe. She brings him to her universe. He finds Marta, brings her into the loop. They conceive the unknown. And then Marta witnesses that Jonas get killed by her older self and then goes on her journey to try to fix everything. The second reality is where Jonas hides in the basement because Marta never comes to save him. She's interrupted by Bartosz. And so he goes into the basement and survives the apocalypse. From there, he works with young Noah, Claudia, and Elizabeth to turn the God particle into a working time machine. He becomes the stranger. He travels to 1888 with the kids, Magnus, Francisca, and Bartosz. And together, they work to create Adam's machine and they start Sigmundus. Really, they join Sigmundus. Jonas becomes Adam, who then kills Marta. And then Jonas learns of the third world from Claudia and travels back to create the final reality. This is the reality where, again, Marta is stopped by Bartosh, but Adam finds Jonas and tells him how to break the cycle. Jonas is then taken to the second universe and goes on to the final episode with Marta, where they travel to the origin world through the tunnel scene and then end up saving Sonia and Merrick. I actually think that Jonas's realities are a little bit simpler than Marta's because yeah. he dies in one, he becomes Adam in another. That's yeah. also the reality where he ends up killing Ava 
and like yeah. perpetuating the the grudge, I guess, so to speak. And then he also, in the third reality, becomes the savior and yeah. brings Jonas to the end of his story. So pretty simple, but that is essentially the rest of his timeline. Mm-hmm. From here, I want to talk about our final thoughts around Jonas and something that we've kind of touched on already. I want to expand on because when I was looking into Jonas's character and preparing my notes for this episode, there's one quote in particular that stood out to me. And that quote is, a person lives three lives. The first ends with the loss of naivete, the second with the loss of innocence, and the third with the loss of life itself. It is inevitable that we go through all three stages. I love that quote because I think it really applies to just all life. And we've touched on this at the beginning of the episode where we talk about this is just what happens when you grow older. But we specifically see it in Jonas's character in that transition to Adam. To kind of support this, I came across a trope called the three faces of Adam. Have either of you ever heard of this? No. So it's kind of similar to the maiden, the crone, and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Wow, the third one? Mother. The mother, maiden, yeah. Mother, the crone. maiden, the mother, and the crone. There's a male version, and it's the hunter, the lord, and the prophet. The hunter is the man who thirsts to find himself by striking out into the world, is usually the youngest of the three. He may be afraid of what the future has in store for him and is desperately looking for a purpose in life. Or he might be ambitious with dreams that he lacks the skills and resources to fulfill. Because he has so few things he values, he will tend to take risks to get what he wants. The next stage is the Lord, the man who struggles to maintain stability against the ebb and flow of the world. In the place of naivete, there is now knowledge of the world, both of its dangers and its wonders. He has to establish his place in the world and has a reputation to maintain and possesses the skills and resources to keep them. He must strive to achieve a balance between fulfilling future further goals without risking losing what he already has or becoming too obsessed with what he possesses to progress forward. We're freaking out. Okay, I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Please, please let us get it out. We're we're, we're basically like (laughs) dancing without speaking here. But yes. We, do you want to go first, Mercs? Okay, mine's super short. It's just okay, that go. I looked down and I saw the hunter is the hero, the prophet mm-hmm. is his mentor, and the Lord is the big bad. And I went, oh my God, that is that is exactly <laughs> what it is, right? The stranger mentors Jonas. Jonas is trying to be the hero and Adam is the big bad. Anyway, yes, yep. Mercs, what were do you going to Do you want to hear say? mine? Yes, I of course I do. Yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. you know how this whole thing... Okay, I'm just going to wheel it in. If we're mm-hmm. going to apply this methodology to Jonas, Stranger, and Adam, the soldier, father, sage, you know, sage mm-hmm. maiden, mother, crone, Marta becomes a mother. And that's the number one thing that we fucking hate about it. Yeah. Is that she becomes a mother. Oh. But if we're going with maiden, mother, mother crone, and crone, she's that, literally the, the crone. Yep. She's and the archetype he's of mother. The soldier, and he's mistaken yep. for a fucking soldier. He's yep. Jonas is literally, he's literally mistaken, mistaken for a soldier. soldier. Oh my God. Okay. So I also I came to a realization. We can talk about it another time, but I came to a realization. This is it, man. Of my feeling. Okay, we've got okay, one fine. other episode. <laughs> okay, that's true. So talk about true. it now. Let's go. Okay, you know how how we've always like talked about how we hate the trope of like pregnancy yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm watching a sci-fi show, and mm-hmm. there is some pregnancy stuff happening in it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, grumble, grumble. And then I did some research, and I was like, 
oh, this actor was pregnant in real life. So they wrote it in. And yeah. then I started doing this, the brain thing where I'm like, oh yeah, well, all the, a lot of examples of like pregnancy that I see in sci-fi tropes and stuff like that are because the actors actually got pregnant yeah. and they had to write it in. And then Is it? that kind of became a trope. Maybe that's why it's a trope. I'm not sure. There are definitely examples where it's a trope where that's not the case, but the ones that bothered me the most are actually where the actors were pregnant. Anyway. Yeah, because it, because it feels strong-armed in, right? Because they weren't expecting it. And so then it just suddenly happened and they had to have yeah, a reason for Yeah, and then they're it. like, oh, this person's pregnant. Like, yeah. oh, this character's pregnant now. And I'm like, oh, it's because they got pregnant in real life. So anyway, just wanted to say I have come to a new emotional standpoint with the whole being pregnant trope. However, okay. the pregnancy trope existed in fiction before TV. Like it has been around for a oh, while, yes. if I'm not yeah. mistaken, like in sci-fi novels and stuff like that. Women being pregnant with all that. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's good yeah. to know that at least in some of the examples that bother us the most, that was actually because of real life and not... Yeah. Yeah them yeah. purposefully trying to write that into the story. Because I think we're probably on the same page there. The ones that really bother me feel like they just came out of left field. And it's like, yeah. why? Yeah. Why did you have to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's two of the three, right? The hunter mm-hmm. and the Lord. The final one, the prophet, is the man who looks back on his life, usually the oldest of the three. His knowledge and experience have grown into wisdom and he seeks to impress that wisdom on younger generations. He's either fulfilled or given up on his aspirations. And if he does have any goals, they will either be fulfilled through a proxy or be a gift to the younger generation. His fears center on what will happen after he is gone, both to his legacy and to the world itself. So reading through this, I immediately saw Jonas, the stranger, and Adam like completely personified in this. So, so, so cool. And I love that. So then it makes total sense that Marta is the maiden mother crone. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why I've never heard of this because we've heard the maiden, the mother, and the crone, probably because it's tied to mythology the most, more than anything. But it's cool to see that there's a male version of that, the life cycle concept. That's crazy and amazing. Very cool. I also feel like that's kind of a nice way to sum up Adam's slash Jonas's character right there to talk about just the life cycle overall and the person he becomes. And I love the fact that we landed on grief being the lens for his character because we've already talked about all these crazy plot points and symbolism and references to mythology and other works. So I like this metaphorical stance and the fact that we ran into the fact that the rooms at the end of the series were combined. Like that's incredible. Wow. I'm glad we caught that now. Yeah. So good. Any other thoughts to share? Yeah. I guess I just also want to say like, while we're here with Jonas, I feel like, you know, we've talked a lot about so much in this show that when we came to Jonas, it was a lot of just remembering about what he did and theorizing about what he stands for. But I guess I just like to say how much I love him and how much he is such a beautiful, this is going to make me sound so weird, but like a beautiful boy. Like he's just like this. (laughs) Jonas is just an innocent baby, sweet angel, baby boy. And it causes me so much emotional pain to look at him and to know what he's gone through and what he will will go go through. through, And there's so much empathy that I have for him. And a lot of that is the writing and a lot of that is the performance. And a lot of that is, it's just, he's a beautiful character that I'm so happy was gifted to us in this show. Yeah. And I love him. Yeah. I have a final thought. Okay. How different do you think it would have been if we started with Adam instead of Jonas? What do you mean? I feel like they chose to start with Jonas very particularly 
because they could have started anywhere, really, if you think about it. They had this whole idea. They could have started with Marta. They could have started with the stranger walking in. And by started with, I literally mean, you know, we start with Michael hanging himself. But right after that, they choose to let us experience the first, our first experience with the world of dark and the world of wind is through Jonas. When he wakes up. Yeah, yeah, when he wakes up and just like him returning to school and all of that. And oftentimes the first person you see is, you know, your hero. So potentially they started with that because they want us to think Jonas is that archetype of the hero. But also I just can't help but think they chose him and we start with him rather than the stranger or Adam because they want us to take that journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. He's sort of a stand-in for the audience to some extent. It's our journey too. Yeah. Or he's literally the mentor for us as well through everything. Yeah. You know, He's also who we last see, you yeah. know, like when yep. they disappear and they actually solve it, it's Jonas who does. It's Marta who yeah. does. It's yeah. not Adam and Eve. Yeah. Well, they remember us. Yeah. Oh, so good. What a good discussion too. I'm pretty satisfied. <laughs> yeah. I can't help but with Jonas to feel like there's three seasons worth of content to talk about. You know, there's so much with him as there is with all the characters, which is why we've had a podcast for 31 episodes. Uh, <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. you know, and there is an element of me that feels like wanting to do justice to the characters. Yeah. You don't want to miss anything or leave anything out, but also... I mean, it's tough to cover every single thing for every single character, but also sometimes it's important to cover certain aspects of that character and prioritize that exploration. Totally. Because yeah. I feel like it's easy to go through Jonas's timeline and just talk about surface level things. But what's difficult is to talk about how much he carries. Yeah. The weight yeah. literally of the world is on his shoulders yeah. for him and in his mind. And he has to betray Noah and he knows it. Yeah. That Adam is so strong and he's trying to save everybody. And it's like... With personal sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In my opinion, I know he does some terrible things, especially towards the end, but he's still like, he's still a good guy. Jonas is still in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You see it when they hold... He, yeah, at the end. Him and Eva yeah. uh, or hold hands, I yeah. think they hold hands. yeah. Yeah, you know, like I think we remember him. We also remember him from all stages. Yeah. He yeah. made an impact on on me as a viewer, as Jonas, as the stranger, and as Adam. And I admire Adam's strength. Yeah. I don't see him as just a villain. No. Just like in real life, there's complexity to a person. There's different shades of who they are as a person. No one is just pure evil. Yeah. It's not black and white, but gray instead. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the merging of the white and the black to make the gray, right? Just like yeah. in the yep. show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So good. So yeah. good. Shall we call it there? Yeah. Yes. Close the chapter on Jonas. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm, I'm suddenly emotional. emotional. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> emotional. This is our second to last episode. And I'm like, <sighs> it's starting to get real for me now. Yeah. That's why I'm like kind of dragging my feet a little bit going into the ending of this episode. Yeah. <sighs> Well, like a bottle of wine, it's time to bottle that up and move yeah. so. <laughs> Oh, Well, thank you all for listening. Shall we do some shout outs? Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. I guess I will do the thing first. Um, hello, I'm Mergles. You can catch me. I stream on Twitch Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at Merkel's. Uh, I'm making an animated film. I started working on it again. I took a little break and I started working on it this past week again, which is very exciting. 
And I hope that I can continue keeping up the energy. I seem to have this like three months on, three months off thing going on for some reason. Just like burnout. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, (laughs) anyway, doing that now. So you can come check me out. And thanks uh, for listening. Yeah, you've gotten so far. It's so good to see it starting to shape up and come together and not just be pieces. Yeah. EB, how about you? Yeah. Sorry. I just went through my notes uh, before... Uh, the end. And I realized there were some quotes that I wanted to share from Jonas that I, I didn't, um, I didn't cover here. So I'm just going to read some of those if that's okay. Yeah. Before we close the chapter, I realized like, as soon as you said that I went, yeah, we're not, I'm not really going to get another chance to talk about him technically maybe uh, next week. Cause it's the, the end, but the stranger says yesterday, today, and tomorrow are not consecutive. They are connected in a never ending circle everything is connected. And obviously, if you look through the lens of time travel, he's just stating a fact. But I think if you also look through the perspective of an actual human life, it's the same. You know, Mm -hmm. we may feel like it's consecutive, but today I'm reacting the way that I am because of something that happened and something I experienced in my yesterdays. And what I'm experiencing now or my reaction now will affect my future days, my tomorrows, you know, and I think trying to remember that everything is connected in that way for your own life experience is very helpful, very freeing and very empowering. And then he also says, if I now change my past, I will change who I am. And I don't want to do that. Mm. We've talked about that. And we've talked about that. And I just relate to that. I think that's super powerful. And yeah, I think those two quotes go hand in hand together. Dreams change, other things become more important. Yeah, it's crazy. So good. Yeah. Oh, he also says, pain is my vessel, desire, my compass. It's all that man is capable of. It sounds like just someone living a life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> okay. So that that was uh, that was what I kind of wanted to end on. As for me, I'm Pumpkinberry. You can find me streaming pretty much daily at twitch.tv slash pumpkinberry. I love it when y'all come say hi. So please do if you're if you're feeling up to it. It really makes my day. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. I just love this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for journeying with us. Yes. It's been a ride. Yeah, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. I know. One more episode to go. But of course, a radio went in before that, yeah. which is going to be our next yep. week's episode. But they just thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Of course, if we missed anything, you can tweet at us individually. Use the hashtag darkcompanionpod or email darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. And of course, special thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight. That's J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. We're also proudly part of the Geek Generation Network. You can find more awesome podcasts related to cool nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into dark with us. We'll be back next week for our Radio Wendon. And then after that, the finale. The end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. Yeah. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>